This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 19. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows, brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by our producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you, my friend. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Thrilled to be here. Hey, you know what today is? Wednesday, today marks the anniversary, uh, the 71st anniversary since the bombing of Pearl, Har- Pearl Harbor. That is correct. You're or correct. 80, 81st anniversary, something like that. Anyway, yeah. So uh, there you go. It's been, uh, been a long time and uh, always good to remember back to, I mean, just like we remember and honor uh, what? Not necessarily what happened, but the 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 people involved and sacrifices made of uh, things like September 11th and so on. Uh, but uh, Pearl Harbor, a day which shall live in infamy. So I just you know thought since we're doing a podcast today uh, and it happens to be that day, might as well make a quick mention of that and put that in all of your your thoughts and uh, remind you of it. But today we're here to talk about a podcast topic. Uh, that I coined the acronym TSAP, Tourniquet Self-Application Practice. So this is actually part of the monthly uh, uh, Shooter Ready Challenge drill. It's something a little bit different uh, for Shooter Ready Challenge. Most of the stuff we do has been more focused on dry fire with the firearm for the purpose of learning how to get better with the firearm. And this go around, decided to switch that up a little bit, still using a firearm for purposes of dry fire, but the focus is less on the gun and more on self-aid or applying a, self, uh, a tourniquet to yourself. Hence the term TSAP, Tourniquet Self-Application Practice. Uh, we'll get into that momentarily, but today's episode is sponsored by LASR, or the Laser Activated Shot Reporter software available from laserapp.org, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.org. You know, Ben and uh, folks over there at Laser App fabulous fabulous folks uh was thrilled to be able to chat with uh, ben uh his wife and some of their team uh, a couple weeks ago at the uscca concealed carry expo in fort worth where we were at where, where we attended and exhibited as well and uh, i got to play with uh their new steel challenge targets which is rolled up here i just got these a few days ago from ben super excited so you might actually see these make their way into Shooter Raid Challenge just for some different ideas for Shooter Raid Challenge drills in the future. But they've done a really great job of continuing to update and, and upgrade the Laser App software. Lots of really cool features. So please check them out. Go to laserapp.org today. I highly encourage you to take a look at the Laser X software uh, versus the Laser Classic. They're both fine, uh, they both have pros and cons. I, I think the laser X is where it's at. And, and that's just me because, you know, I love, in fact, I do this month's challenge just by using my phone, by logging into my laser X account on my phone, mounting it in my tripod and getting my dry fire on. So super, super cool to be able to do that. That wasn't always the case uh, when laser first, ex- uh, first launched for the first several years, 
you are limited to using a Windows-based PC with a webcam to use their software. So LaserX is awesome. Check them out, laserapp.org. Also, today's episode is sponsored by BarrelBlock. Uh, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com is where I would recommend you go for barrel block information and products. Uh, now, barrel block is a part of the concealedcarry.com family of brands, and we're proud to, to own barrel block now and, and to be associated with barrel block. Uh, we've sold a bunch of them over this, these last few weeks as part of the Black Friday sale and, and, and things like that, and, and still a bunch of them being sold. Uh, I was just doing some dry fire practice yesterday with my barrel block, actually. Uh, it's just it's a great tool for that extra bit of reassurance, extra bit of safe, safety, just another redundant safety measure for safe and practical dry fire practice. So anytime you're handling your farms or doing dry fire practice, we encourage you, please consider doing it with barrel block installed in your gun. Go to barrel block with a K, barrelblock.com today. Pick one up for yourself or several several you know because uh, you can get them in a variety of different calibers so those are our sponsors of today and again today we are doing uh a episode on the shooter raid challenge which uh is our monthly drill challenge you can go to shooterradechallenge.com to see all the drills and also see this latest one which is called tsap tourniquet self-application practice so Tell me about your take on this. I mean, you've, you've watched the video, Matthew, so I want to hear from you first. Yeah. Um, so this was a little bit different than, you know, typically uh, maybe a, an accuracy or some sort of, you know, uh, shooting performance type drills that you normally do with the shooter ray challenge, shooter ray challenge. Um, you know, you, you use the, the software to, you know, keeps uh, a time hack, right? But it's it's less about you know the shooting aspect of it, and you know a, it's not a tactical you know treatise on you know hey how do you you know shoot and transition to a you know a self application, but more of just um, kind of because I think this is something that not a lot of people even prescribe to, right? Like they might shoot. And realize, okay, if I have, you know, an injury, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I need to apply a tourniquet. Okay. And then they'll practice the medical app, the medical half of like a, applying a tourniquet or uh, assessing injuries and things, but they don't combine the two. And so this does it in a way where like, if, if you have no idea and you've never done this before, you probably don't want to go out on the range and try, you know, try this right off the bat. Like you can work on this at, at home. It's safe. You have an unloaded firearm and you can just get kind of get into it and see, you know, really how long does it take me if I had to, if I was shooting or if, if I had a, uh, you know, holster a weapon or, uh, you know, and apply a tourniquet and then get back to, you know, get my gun back out into the fight if I had to or, or whatnot. So um, I think it's a safe way to kind of introduce the concept of combining trauma treatment self you know self treatment and and and, you know the the actual shooting aspect of it yeah yeah so you know in the video uh we use a training tourniquet which i've got one right here uh convenient because actually i filmed that video just over there and here's a training tourniquet that i used uh so actually i want to start as we get into this topic i want to uh provide some 
background type information, some context, uh, some things to consider before you get started in this kind of thing. I believe that anybody that buys a tourniquet, which I think should be all of you, if you don't have a tourniquet, shame on you, uh, fix that today, please. Uh, I have a personal friend that injured themselves while working on a farm uh, a couple of years ago by themselves doing their thing. Okay. And uh, slipped and fell, you know, caught their arm on a piece of metal, uh, cut themselves up pretty badly, you know, and, and they're, a good distance from medical help um, by themselves needed to be self-sufficient in this regard. And fortunately, because they had a tourniquet available, grabbed the tourniquet, self-applied it to their arm, tightened it down, stopped the flow of blood, hopped in their pickup truck and drove themselves into town. Um, it might've been very different had they not had that ability. And I know some people would be like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just improvise one. I'll just grab my belt or I'll use this or I'll use that, a piece of rope, whatever it is. And while improvised tourniquets can work, in many instances, they won't work or won't work as effectively. And I have never seen anybody fashion an improvised tourniquet as quickly as what you can apply an actual true, you know, commercially made tourniquet. Uh, and time can be absolutely of the essence, especially for self-application. It's one thing when you're applying to an individual, uh, you know, somebody else, but something else entirely when you're trying to do it on yourself, especially if it's improvised. And so in this day and age, when you can go grab one of these on our on our website or on mountainmedical.com for 20-ish something bucks. Uh, I I think it's worth it. I mean, we, we, we'll we spend that. Like most people won't blink and not. Well, I guess some of us blink because you know, of the cost of ammo and all that. But some, but many of us won't blink, you know, at spending 20, 30, 40 bucks, 100 bucks on ammo. A lot of us won't blink at spending 500, 600 bucks on a new gun. But when it comes to actual other life-saving saving gear, like a tourniquet, People are like, ah, $27.95? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? Um, but but go get not just one, but get several. And that's actually one of the first things I was going to say is I believe anybody that owns a tourniquet, which should be all of you, all of us, I think you should all that also means you should own more than one. Uh, because it's a good idea to have them in, you know, a variety of different places, different kits, different uh bags, kits, whatever it is, you know, wherever you think it makes sense to have one um, or on your person in a pocket, what whatnot. But you should also have at least one extra one for doing practice with because you don't want to practice with the one you're actually going to carry for use <laughs> and, right. and wear it out, you know, or compromise it in some way. And, and while these North American Rescue cat tourniquets like I'm holding here are are very, very well made, very strong. I mean, I, I practiced with this one, I don't know, more than a dozen times, tightening it down really tight, really stretching it out, all of that. I mean, it it's still holding together. There hasn't been any stitches that have popped or anything like that. But I wouldn't want to use this, you know, real emergency situation. Um, of course, this one is blue. Okay, and blue is what they consider to be their training. In fact, it even says right here for training use only. Uh, and so, but yeah, we sell these blue ones too on the website, but it's, it's a good idea to have a practice one. And so have a practice one and then actually practice doing it because 
while while we can say to ourselves, well, it's not rocket science, you know, it's pretty easy to put on a tourniquet. I mean, come on, guys. Um, I promise you, just like any motor skill, which anything we do that's physically minded that involves hand-eye coordination, uh, that involves the use of your hands, like any of that kind of stuff, uh, skill-wise degrades over time if you're not doing it regularly. So that is the context for today's podcast episode and for this Shooter 8 Challenge. And there you go. Have a tourniquet. In fact, have several. And in fact, have at least one that's dedicated for training use so you can actually practice it. It's a good idea. Yeah, well, I, that, I, I don't know if you, I, I don't want to hijack the, the, the conversation too much, but um, to your, your podcast point, too, bro. <laughs> now, to, to your point about practicing, um, it, it is, it does seem like something that would be very intuitive and very simple to do. Um, but I don't know if you saw it and probably some of the listeners have seen that video uh, of a police officer applying a tourniquet to another officer recently. And it was, I mean, it was done incorrectly, right? Like not even applied correctly. Now, um, you yeah. know, the guy, he didn't die, but it was, it was not done. It, and we don't know if, if, you know, the, the officer trained and just forgot or never had training or whatnot, but clearly um, in that stressful moment, he didn't apply the tourniquet even remotely uh, appropriately. And, um, you might be able to get away with that with a, with an injury that's, you know, you know, maybe not life threatening, but you're applying a tourniquet just a, as a precaution. Um, and, and, you know, paramedics are, are on their way short ways away, but certainly if you have a serious injury and a delayed response and you're not doing this right, you know, or you're doing something with a improvise, something improvised that is less effective. I mean, for 20 bucks and you, you know, it's not worth it, you know? So uh, just practice every once in a while. It's, it's, it doesn't require a lot of, a lot of time or effort. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's absolutely true. I mean, while we're doing this podcast, other than it would be noisy, <laughs> I could be sitting here practicing this right now. I, you know, it's, this is not a difficult thing to do. Uh, and the concept, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago in a kind of joking fashion, it's not rocket science. I mean, you, you, as a general rule or as a basic rule, you put it on your limb, you know, your arm, your leg, high and tight. Uh, make sure you get that initial tightness really, you know, as tight as you, as you can manage. Uh, that initial tightness is a really important factor as far as the overall effectiveness of that particular application of the tourniquet will be. Um, usually if there's going to be some kind of, blood flow uh, occlusion failure uh, through the use of one of these commercially available tourniquets, it's oftentimes going to be because the initial tightness was not sufficient. So that's why it's important to recognize. So that's why we say high and tight, right? Not just referring to the tightness of once you start tight, tightening the windlass. Okay. That's this little bar thing on there. Right. But, but actually getting that initial tightness tight, and of course, high on the limb. Now, the, the technical application can be done at least two inches above the source of bleeding. Um, if we had Brian on the podcast, it's probably about time we have Brian come back on, our uh, director of training at uh, Mountain Man Medical. Um, he would tell you, yeah, you, you, you can apply a tourniquet 
at least two inches above where the source of the bleeding is is from and then you know tighten it down there but as a real simple basic general principle and, and it's also true too and i've i've been on heck i was in, not involved in but i was involved in the response to a severe automobile accident uh, a number of years ago where one of there were several parties involved one of them I could tell it wasn't arterial, um, but had some pretty, you know, decent bleeding and eventually stopped. That's, I think by the time I got to them, it was still dripping, you know, but, you know, a minute or two in, you could tell like that, that bleeding was kind of coming to a stop more or less, but I couldn't tell what it was coming from, you know, at least initially. Right. Mm. Um, And so sometimes like, if you're just in doubt, you're like, I need to, take action here and I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to triage everything. It's like, well, I can solve, I see blood and I, and it's this person's leg is bleeding. Well, I could solve that really fast right here, right now. And I can come back to that and do further triage and assessment on that specific thing later, but I can also take action right now and then continue to handle other issues on site, on the scene. And, uh, you know, so just going high and tight, you know, is, is also a, a valid tactic uh, when you don't know for certain where the, the bleeding is actually occurring from. Um, and uh, it can, you know, buy you some time. Like I said, you can always come back and reevaluate things if you, if you have that opportunity to do so. Um, you know, and it's funny how we've evolved in the thinking of tourniquet application through the years, because at one time, actually for a long time, there was this, and it really came a lot from, like, to me, in my mind, Matthew, it is the Vietnam War. A lot mm-hmm. of Vietnam vets or servicemen and women that came, you know, up through that era of, like, the 60s up through, you know, about 1995. <laughs> vets would be like, tourniquet, that's a last resort. Like, heaven forbid you put a tourniquet on, the next thing you know, that's that's an amputation waiting to happen, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, you see, you agree, you know, like we've all heard that. I mean, that's something I heard from, I don't remember specifically my grandpa saying it, but that, that's the kind of era that, you know, that, that comes to mind. And so, uh, that was the attitude towards it. Right. But we know now through science and medical, uh, advancement that you can put a tourniquet on, (laughs) you can put it on. Dang tight! You can stop blood flow completely from that limb, and you you got some time, right? You got some time, and by that, like in most urban or suburban uh, or just in general civilization type contexts, you're probably going to get medical intervention well before that tourniquet's going to cause problems as far as causing permanent. Uh, tissue damage, uh, nerve damage, um, you know, that kind of thing to where you are, you are at risk of having to have an amputation, right? So we're talking like two hours at least, and that's plenty of time to, you know, not have to worry about like to, to get some actual help from, uh, whether it's EMS or getting somebody to a hospital. Uh, so, my point being to all this is like there's tons of application of tourniquets that we see now examples of that come out like on YouTube and social media where people are sharing, you know, little video clips of, 
of uh, you know a shooting that just happened, a stabbing, a automobile accident, that kind of thing, and you see tourniquets being used, and and there there's plenty of examples where they're being used, and they they probably don't have to be used in those contexts. But the good thing is, is that there's really not any harm being done by doing so, um, as long as there's not other more important things uh, being missed by the fact that someone's like, oh, uh, tourniquet, let's get this done, you know, and then and like they're actually overlooking something else maybe that should be uh, uh, handled first. But um, you, you see what I'm getting at here as far as sure, like, yeah. like this, is a val- this is a valid tool to have. Uh, it's, it is life-saving. Uh, it has saved people's lives of people that I know uh, or people that I have come across. I've not had to personally put one on somebody yet. Uh, have already in my relatively young years, I've having been on the scene and having responded to a number of accidents uh, where severe trauma was involved. Uh, I, I'm not counting out the fact that at some point in my life, I won't have to put something like one of these on somebody. Um, but, uh, you know, relatively inexpensive, relatively easy to apply simple concepts and principles to learn and then practice it so that you can actually do it when it counts. Cause I promise you when the adrenaline starts kicking in, your heart's pounding, uh, the craziness of the situation is is getting to you somewhat, whatever that is, and and some of you have been there, or per, you know perhaps all of us have been there in, in various contexts at some point in our life. But uh, sometimes some of those scenes could be, you know, like I'm, I'm going on. I'm being too long winded here, but um, just one more thing. You know, Brian, our director of training at Mountain Medical, and I were traveling back from Kansas uh, from the Active Self Protection Com- uh, Conference, National Conference. This is like what a month or so ago. I guess it's been more like two months, and uh, it's two two thirty in the morning. We come upon an accident scene involving an overturned semi truck that had struck another vehicle on uh, Interstate seventy. Right, and really, what we have is two accident scenes at this point because that semi truck struck the other vehicle, but the semi kept moving a good hundred plus yards beyond the initial impact point off the road, overturned on its side. And thank goodness it was me and Brian because like we, we didn't even really have to communicate much. It's just that he started moving one direction. I started moving the other direction because we had two different scenes. We have a vehicle hundred yards back and a vehicle over here and uh, presumably people in those vehicles. Right. You know, and, and so, uh, that that's a chaotic scene already. Like you don't know what you're going to find. I got up to that other vehicle and like, there's glass everywhere. And, and I, I at first couldn't even tell, you know, what had happened. I just knew that there's been an accident, you know, and like, who is here and who, like, who is involved in this? Where are they? At first I couldn't see a person, you know? And then I finally, of course I did, did locate him as he was standing outside his truck at that point. Um, and was in, it was in good shape, you know, but we had to get that sorted out. And, you know, when you got to divide things up and divide and conquer and assess, not just an accident site, but a, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple site scene, (laughs) you know, like, uh, it, it can get rather chaotic as you're trying to wrap your head around, you know, what your actual priorities need to be. 
Mm-hmm. And so having been there and done that number of times, like you, you want to have a good sense of, you know, what you're going to do in advance, or at least know how, how to handle it, how to prioritize things, how to triage, and then what actions you should take, you know? Yeah. Anyway. It'd be a good, good, good uh, little uh, reminder about the uh, emergency trauma response response course. Uh, if, if you guys haven't taken it or aren't aware of it, uh, it, it's a, it's a course video course. You get to see Riley shirtless uh, being treated with, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, that's a, that's a, tr- a real treat. Yeah. If nothing else, get it for that value right there. But, uh, you, you know, chest seals and stuff and ripping hair and, um, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great course and, uh, and highly, highly suggest, you know, if you've taken a stop the bleed course or, you know, you know, and that's it, or you took a, took a CPR class or the last time you took it was in boot camp in 19, you know, 72, uh, some things have changed and, uh, it's a, it's, if nothing else, it's a great refresher. And, uh, I, I, I recommend it. it's on our, on our websites on the mountain man medical site, yeah. but uh, check it out. Yeah. You know, there's a great comment here from, from Alex on Facebook saying, you know, we put a thousand rounds down range, but take a stop the bleed or other course once and figure we are good to go. You know, referencing the idea, I think I said earlier about how most people won't blink twice spending 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 bucks on ammunition or a bunch more money on a new gun, but then balk at the idea of buying or even carrying a tourniquet or having one at your disposal or a trauma kit or anything of that sort. Um, And Alex is exactly right in this assessment uh, because I've seen this from people. I've seen it myself at one time. I I mean, going back, you know, obviously in history, I I probably would have thought it was I, I, to be honest with you, I never was not even really fully aware of some of the training opportunities that existed. And I would say now there are more training opportunities than what existed 10 or 20 years ago, as far as uh, civilian trauma, you know, medicine, but, um, but it's so true, you know, like, and it's true of myself. I, I love training. I love shooting. I would much rather spend time on the range making pew pew noises than uh and, and making holes in targets than you know doing trauma medicine although i think that's fun too it's just i like shooting a lot uh but this stuff is important and and the stop the bleed course is really what i consider to be the bare minimum uh and not a lot of people uh, frank in the in the big picture of just people in general but even amongst gun owners or gun carriers not many people have even taken a stop to bleed course and they're relatively easy to do uh, and, and relatively. I mean, there's, there's a good number of opportunities out there to do that and they're usually free or very low cost. So, um, but that's kind of the bare minimum, but it's a great place to get started. Now, another option is, uh, or another thing you should look into is a CPR first aid AED certification uh, such as like from through the American uh, Red Cross or American Heart Association or one of those other fine organizations that do those types of courses. I've been certified in first aid CPR AED since 2005 or six, I think somewhere around that, that time frame. Um, you know, and that's been an important, uh, I've talked about that before, you know, why I first started seeking out that kind of thing after one of the first traumatic experiences I had in my life. 
but those are still kind of bare minimum and you got to keep them up to date and keep them current. So, um, now the emergency trauma response free course on mountainmedical.com, another great bare minimum course. It's a great place for people to get their feet wet. Uh, at least start getting some of the knowledge, you know, part of it. Uh, and you could take a lot of that from that, and especially the, the tourniquet application part. I'm sure you can watch that video and then start practicing self-applying this. So you don't have to take a class to figure that out, but taking a class is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So in the shooter rate challenges month, uh, why don't you kind of walk folks through just real quick, kind of how I went about doing that as far as turning it into a drill. Sure, sure. So um, basically, you know, and, you know, you make a good point and I want to reiterate the point in the video that we're not talking about, this isn't a tactical, you know, um, discussion about, you know, what, what do you do when you, you know, you're engaged in a gunfight and you have to apply a, a tourniquet to yourself, right? That we're not talking, we're talking about just going through the skills, uh, getting it through, through your mind of uh, maybe where you carry your tourniquet, right? How do you access it? Um, you know, some of the practical uh, challenges that come with what do I do with my firearm? If I, you know, if I have the gun out and I need to apply a tourniquet, you know, some people might not even think, you know, do I put the gun on the ground? Do I reholster it? If I do reholster it, where, what position do I carry it in? And can I, can I reholster with my off hand? If, if, you know, my, 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 uh, strong hand, um, is, uh, is the one that's injured. How, how do I do that? So going through, um, different positions, maybe, you know, you, you go through a couple different positions of applying and using, uh, you use the laser dot trainer to kind of get a, a, a and the LASR software to kind of just get an idea on, okay, um, what's the time, how long does it take, you know, just going through the motions and give you your, yourself a little benchmark, something to shoot for. At least it keeps you a little bit honest where you're not taking six minutes to apply a tourniquet and calling, you know, saying, Oh, I, I, you know, I practiced it. Well, you don't, you know, six minutes applying a tourniquet is probably not ideal. Right. So, um, the, the time hack kind of keeps you honest, keeps you uh, a little bit, gives you a little bit, of a, a, pressure to, you know, or something to shoot for, uh, or to work towards. And, uh, and yeah, and, and you go through and, um, I think, like I said earlier, it really allows you to practice it in a safe way. Um, you can, you know, figure out all those gear things where you carry, maybe the way you carry your, your tourniquet. Now it works great. Um, but you realize, Hey, you know, it doesn't actually work great because I can't reach it. If I, you know, my, I'm right-handed, my right arm is injured. I can't even reach it. I can't access it. So you go through those things and, and you start to uh, discover that. And that's the only way you'll realize that is if you go through these, these little uh, practices and drills and things. Yeah. And speaking of like access of a tourniquet, you know, I mean, so I demonstrate doing it from, uh, like a side pocket that I have in my pants, uh, which is one that I have commonly used through the years now uh, for carrying a tourniquet. I'm usually carrying a soft T wide, which admittedly is a little bit more difficult for most folks to self-apply than a cat. Uh, although I've practiced the soft T wide, I, frankly, over the years, I've done more reps on a soft T wide tourniquet from Combat Medical than I have the cat. Ironically enough, it's probably reversed that. 
for most other folks. But I like the soft TY tour- tourniquet, and I've, I've actually I own more of them and use more of them. Uh, not not because I necessarily think it's you know a substantially better product or anything like that, but just because I, I mostly I like that they're a little bit more compact. You know, the cat's always been a little bit on the bulkier side of things. Uh, even right now, there's a new product on you know that's kind of hit the market that you know, is another answer to the tourniquet question of, well, we want to have good tourniquets or better tourniquets, but in a smaller footprint. And there's a relatively new one that people are kind of talking about and evaluating right now, a little Mm -hmm. too soon to know, you know, whether that one's, uh, you know, a a good solution or not. I think it probably shows some promise, but, you know, as is the case with such things, probably, you know, will be some time before we fully vet out uh, and flesh out a product like that. But, um, but anyway, I, I I go ahead and demonstrate from my pocket using an, even a turn a cat tourniquet, uh, and just showing you how I'd go about that. But the, the soft T wide is frankly a little bit more compact, a little bit thinner, a little bit easier for me to carry on a daily basis. Now to that point, do I carry one daily? Uh, I do at least in the form of having one right here in this pouch. This is my trauma kit pouch on my backpack and that pretty much goes everywhere I go. But I do want to address something to that. You're talking about access. So in the shooter rate challenge drill, you know, I demonstrate it doing, you know, doing it several times. Uh, the drill, let me describe really fast is basically we do strong hand um, only application, right? So assuming that my support hand has been injured in some fashion. So now I'm self-applying, this tourniquet with using my, my dominant hand onto my non-dominant arm. Then we do it the opposite of that. So non-dominant hand applying it to my dominant arm. And then we do uh, applying it to one of my legs, uh, which of course I could use both my hands, both my arms to, to ap- apply it in that case. And just showing kind of those different contexts and showing that, hey, this is a good idea to practice these different iterations because we don't get to pick and choose uh, just like we don't get to pick and choose our the, the date and time and place of our battle, uh, we don't get to pick and choose you know what kind of injuries we sustain or where those injuries will be located. And so you should practice all these different variations and, and be familiar with them. Um, but the drill is basically on the queue, which in this case the laser app software. I chose to use the visual start, which instead of an auditory beep, it just flashes a green box on my screen indicates it's time to begin the exercise at that point. You know, I've, I've, I'm assuming I've just been engaged in some kind of gunfight, even though I don't want you to read too much into the shooter rate challenge drill as being this tactical situation we're trying or scenario that we're trying to work within or solve. Uh, it's, it's purely all about the manipulation practice is the way I see this current drill, uh, that we're talking about here today. But, um, uh, but, you know, I've already got my gun out, right? So when I see the the start cue, I'm reholstering the gun, retrieving the tourniquet, self-applying it, high, tight, turning the windlass uh, until it's tight enough that, you know, in this case, in, in real life, we got to turn a, a windlass on a tourniquet until bleeding stops. That's the reality of it, right? It's going to cause a significant amount of discomfort, to the individual that's receiving that. That's a fact. Um, in practice, you know, we don't want to 
unnecessarily cause us any undue stress or harm or whatnot. But you know, I tur- I tighten it until I can kind of feel you know some tingling down my arm. Like okay, it's it's tight now, and if I leave it on even at this level of tightness, like it's it may not fully occlude my blood flow but it's, it's having an effect. That's for sure. Right. So I'm tightening down until it's pretty uncomfortable securing the tourniquet, uh, all of that. And then withdrawing the gun again from the holster now at this point and firing one shot at the target that I have that the software will then read the impact from, from the laser. And that's essentially recognizing the stop of the exercise. In this case, that's, that's the whole way that I set up and used, the laser app software for this month's drill and how I incorporated it into the dry fire practice routine uh, in, so that I could, you know, have the opportunity of working the, the manipulations of everything together with a handgun and applying a tourniquet, but also be able to get a readout of a time. Like how long did it take from this start signal or cue to firing off that shot, Right. And so I was averaging, I don't know, like 24, 25 seconds, something like that. I think one of my runs was 20, low 20s. Um, And so that gives you an idea, like that's coming from my pocket, right? Now imagine I'm out in this shop, you know, doing work uh, on holsters, let's say, and I suffer a severe injury and I'm here alone late one night working like I sometimes am. And my kit is in a different room in a different part of our, our, our building here. Start those seconds, start adding up. And depending on the severity of the bleed, like you've got anywhere from, it could be as, it could be as fast as 30 seconds. Uh, If you are losing blood fast enough, you might have 30 seconds of consciousness. Now that you're dead in 30 seconds, but if, if you're alone and you lose consciousness and you haven't been able to call for help in 30 seconds, well, then I guess you're as good as dead in 30 seconds, right? But the mm-hmm. point is, is like, you might only have 30 seconds. You might have a minute. You, you don't get to choose that time frame. But just put that into, con- into context why accessibility of some of these tools is an important consideration. And that's what I hope that doing something like this dry fire practice application of tourniquets uh, as part of this month's shooter ready challenge hopefully inform you a little bit better as far as like what your actual capabilities and skill level is in, in accomplishing that task but also inform you as far as like well what other considerations do i need to put into into uh or take into account in other words how prepared am i where do I have the tools? Where do I keep the tools? Uh, how long is it going to take me to access those tools? Because seconds may be the literal difference between life or death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, um, you know, I, I, I don't really have much to add about the, the drill. I mean, you guys uh, check out the, you know, the um, the video. It, it goes through and, and you know, you, you may be more of a, person who likes the, I don't know, a a specific type of dry fire, right? Like multiple, you know, shooting multiple targets or, or something like that, but don't discount doing something simple like this because it is the foundational stuff that that's going to build, 
that you'll be able to build off of because we're talking about tourniquets now and um, but you know self application but you know I it, it it goes into you know when you start uh, maybe getting more into into uh, trauma medicine like uh, assessment you know assessing injuries and stuff but having a, having a, a knowledge of you know what does it take me when I'm involved with using the gun and and, and all that, um, then you can start kind of having a reference point when you start going through a course and saying, okay, this is what I have to, I have to assess a, a somebody. Well, you know, it takes me this long just to put a tourniquet on myself. So you, you start to get some ideas of time and, and how, you know, considerations. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, I'll tell you, you know, you were talking about you know, a couple of times where, you know, you were saying you haven't applied a tourniquet to somebody to save their life, but, um, you, you, you know, you certainly been on plenty of, you know, uh, traumatic scenes and, and, and mass, mass casualties. Um, I, 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 there's a, there's a couple people that, you know, as a, as an officer, I, I had bleed out, uh, while I was there, I was the only one there. And, not specifically injuries. In one case, there was an injury that I probably could have applied a tourniquet had I even had one. Um, you know, we're talking in 2008 when, you know, tourniquets really still were pretty taboo. But um, I, I don't think in that case, even applying a tourniquet, I, I know if he, he, this person wouldn't have survived. But um, it is remarkable how fast somebody loses consciousness in uh, this somebody that you're watching and i can only imagine as that's happening to you as you start to lose consciousness whether it's a minute whether it's a minute and a half how quickly that goes by and and your skills start it's not just like you're a hundred percent and then at a minute and a half you no longer can function you start your your cognitive ability starts to go away earlier right it's just not oh, yeah. you're just not completely done until maybe a minute and a half right so yeah. it might be 30 or 40 50 seconds um where your 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 brain has enough you know oxygen and everything is functioning it's thinking but as that time goes on you still might be alert or you still might be conscious but you're not as alert you're not thinking and tasks become more difficult so it really is important because this stuff happens very quickly and and we you know we want to win the gunfight of course um but sometimes winning the gunfight you still get injured and you might have won the gunfight um but you're injured and now you know got to get get to cover and start treating yourself and you don't have much time uh to to you know, kind of dilly dally around and kind of figure it out on the fly. It's not one of those things where I'll just figure it out, you know, the adrenaline will kick in and I'll just, I'll just <laughs> somehow pull through and do it. You know, maybe right. I will, I hope you will, but um, why live like that when it, you can <laughs> take five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, do a shoot array challenge, learn a little bit and, uh, and, and get some fun and, and some uh, life saving skills. I really appreciate that you mentioned the whole like consciousness uh, and, and all that kind of, it happens in stages, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, it's progressive for sure, but it's such a valid point. Like to say from, from the, from the time you see somebody lose consciousness, which I witnessed that myself on one of those severe accidents that I did respond to, um, I should say they were kind of in and out. They was, that was a really, that was a really rough one and they were pinned in. There wasn't a whole lot we could do for that particular individual. Right. And unfortunately, eventually that, that individual did pass away. Um, even though they were still uh, alive when they left the scene, uh, via an air flight, but, uh, they were in pretty, pretty rough shape. Um, 
but like just because somebody is moving <laughs> that doesn't even mean consciousness right because like even unconscious mm-hmm. people move twitch dying people move twitch all that right um but uh yeah i was i was thinking of that and then you went right exactly there i was like mm-hmm. yeah if you got 30 seconds of consciousness you might have 10 or 15 seconds of that where you're able to actually perform reasonably well uh, motor skill tasks. Uh, I was reminded of, did you ever see the video? I think it was, I think John Korea covered it on active self-protection. I know I saw a couple different places, but there was this video of like a shootout. I, I don't remember where. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a foreign country, South America somewhere probably. But it was like in some kind of store, right? And uh, the shootout, like the, the attacker, there's actually, it appeared that I think there was an accomplice as well, but the main attacker who's armed with a gun comes from the left side and there's a, a security guard kind of in the corner of the store, right? Mm-hmm. And and the shootout ensues and it's back and forth. And I think the security guard is hit. The perpetrator is definitely hit. He's hit right, I think, almost from the start with like first shot or two. Because uh, like immediately you start seeing blood like hitting the countertop, hitting the floor. Uh, the shootout lasts for a few seconds, and then and the security guard gets the heck out of there. Uh, uh, and then the, the the bad guy in this case uh, starts stumbling around, <laughs> and he tries to make his way out through one of those revolving doors. You know the one, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm that I'm referring mm-hmm. to here, right? Yeah. He gets yep. he gets inside the revolving door and collapses and can't now at this point can't get out can't get back in like because he's he's lost enough blood at this point he he can't function like he's still alive for a moment he's still conscious he's still doing whatever but he can't get up and he can't move himself through this revolving door uh you know by the way i I apologize if this is coming a little bit late in the episode like probably should be a disclaimer in the beginning like we're going to talk about some some graphic uh, things in this episode. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's a pretty graphic video uh, as oftentimes those kinds of things are, but uh, there's so many lessons to be learned from, from stuff like that. And just watching that, like you really get a set, like you can see him progressively degrade in performance as that, pro- as it goes on in time. And it's relatively, it's very fast, right? Yeah. It's, we're talking like 20 seconds, you know, like it, and that's, that's, it's just it, it really drives home the point. It's just how remar- of how remarkable. Uh, well, it's re- it's remarkable in a couple of different ways. It's remarkable at how fast uh, we can degrade physically when being severely injured and bleeding severely. Um, it's also remarkable how long people continue can continue to fight mm-hmm. even when they have suffered a life ending wound. Yeah, you know what I mean. So. Um, it's remarkable in a lot of ways. It's kind of this interesting paradigm or dichotomy of like, just kind of looking at it from those two angles. Um, and, and relative to our topic today, again, we're talking about tourniquet self-application practice. Uh, that's the whole purpose of this month's Shooter A Challenge Drill. And the reality is, like, this is important you may have to self-apply a tourniquet one day and it might not be because you were in a gunfight. It might be because you fell on your farm or you fell off the ladder trying to hang Christmas lights outside your home this year and 
who knows, you know, caught a sharp pointy limb on your way down out of a tree or whatever it is, or even just suffered a fall severe enough that you ended up with a compound fracture with a bone sticking out that happened to also sever your 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 femoral artery or something, you know, and next thing you know, you're bleeding out in the ground right on your front porch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, just, just think through like these different possibilities and scenarios and things, right. You know, and if it was something like that, where you've broken a, a bone like that, you might not be able to get yourself to where a tourniquet may be, you know, and meanwhile, you've got seconds, you know, so it's just, it's not like I have to live my life every day, constantly all the time, walking around with a, you know, full <laughs> blowout kit on the back, you know, uh, belt of, of my pants. But, um, but like, it's just, it's an interesting perspective to consider. Yeah. 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 Gerald here says on Facebook, uh, a lot of us, the sight of blood makes us faint, not a little cut, but, but a bad bleed. And yeah. Um, that there's definitely something to be said for that. I mean, I've known people that kind of get all lightheaded when they see a small cut, see a small yeah. amount of blood. Uh, I've definitely known people that see a lot of blood and they're, yeah, their lights out. Uh, I'm fortunate to be blessed, I guess, psychologically or whatever. It just doesn't really phase me for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's one of those things you, you don't know how you'll react sometimes until you actually see a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, especially been, if it's your own blood, like sometimes you can see other people's blood, but when it, when it's your own blood, there's, I've seen like people where they, they can see somebody else and, and, but like when they see, no, it's their own blood. Some psychologically, they, you know, I don't know if it's yeah. their, you know, their blood pressure drops and that's it. Like, so. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, that's true. That's the thing. I, I know that that's kind of how my wife is a little bit. I think uh, like she, she does fine, you know, seeing like, patch it up the kids, you know, or whatnot, mm-hmm. but, but she put her hand through a window a few years ago and that was, that was a rough deal. <laughs> yeah. Could have been a really bad deal too, but fortunately, you know, it ended up working out okay. But, um, yeah, so good things to consider here and yeah. good reasons to understand how to use one of these, a tourniquet, how to self-apply it. Cause it might be you, as Mickey Shook likes to say, you are your own calvary cavalry. You, or as I've heard Dave Spaulding say, you know, you, you are your own uh, first responder, you know, kind of uh, mentality. So um, consider these things, put in the time, put in the practice, uh, do your dry fire. We hope this month's shooter rate challenge was is helpful for you. It gives you some ideas of ways and things to do in your dry fire practice. And this is probably one you didn't expect to see and, uh, you know, honored to be a part of uh, bringing it to you so that because I think this is something that's absolutely important. So hope that you'll actually uh, get some value from it. For sure. Any uh, final words, Matthew, before we wrap it up? Uh, I'll just give one more shout out uh, to, to our listeners. I, I appreciate you guys and, and gals so much. Um, and if you, if you haven't lately, or if you never have left a, left a review uh, for the podcast, we appreciate it. Um, it helps us. And, if you haven't, if you have a question or a, a topic you'd like us to talk or talk about or, or just some feedback for us, uh, email us. We like getting that stuff uh, from you guys to know that you guys are listening and what you like and how we can uh, this is this podcast is, is for you guys. It, you know, we talk, we banter back and forth, but it would be kind of 
boring if it was just us and nobody was listening. So, um, you know, so let us know what you like, what, what, what we could do, uh, ideas you have. And, and if you can leave a review, that'd be great. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this brings us to the conclusion of yet another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, folks, it is the holiday season. Uh, we hope that you are all safe and happy and well, wherever you may be. Hope that you are with family. Hope that you were able to spend time with family. And even though it is the holiday season, and we generally see a lot of the good in people come out during this special time of the year, uh, we still see some unfortunate and terrible criminal acts of violence take place around this time of year as well. So a reminder to be diligent and prepared while you are out and about. Uh, we hope that you are safe wherever you may be. Absolutely. Our episode sponsors again, LaserApp, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.org. And Barrel Block, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. We appreciate you supporting our sponsors, which in turn support us and make a, make doing what we do here possible and bringing you the Concealed Carry Podcast. Don't forget that as part of the Shooter Ready Challenge, also kind of a, another sponsor of sorts is readyupgear.com, uh, which uh, oftentimes provides a lot of the prizes that are awarded each month to uh, those that participate in Shooter Raid Challenge. And you can be automatically entered into that monthly giveaway for free gear by making sure you're signed up for the newsletter, which you can find details for at ShooterReadyChallenge.com. That's also where you can find the monthly video to check out and follow along with or to go back and review any of the past months and now several years worth of Shooter Ready Challenges as well. Uh, so, Thank you very much for your support. Thank you for your support of our sponsors. Thank you for being here and listening to or watching the podcast. We'll be back. Well, I think Jacob and I are going to try to get in a second episode this week. We're going to work on that for certain. We will definitely see you back here no later than next week for another episode from us all here at concealedcarry.com. So until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Thank you.